Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Rocky Balboa starring Sylvester Stallone, Burt Young, Antonio Tarver, Milo Ventimiglia, and Geraldine Hughes, written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Back in the director's chair this time. Maybe he can send it off right this time. <laughs> Finish out the story the way he wanted to send it out. Yes, exactly. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Today is the end of a, of a journey of revisiting the Rocky franchise from Rocky 1, 1976, and now concluding Rocky Balboa from 2006. What is that? Is that, is that, um, is that 40 years? Yeah. yeah, so perfect, wow. perfect timing for that. Perfect. So yeah, I'm excited to see to to talk about this one. Yeah, go ahead, go and go ahead and pour us. Uh, you you had said last week that you hadn't seen this since the theater back in 2006. So time number two. So that was good to see it again. Excellent, excellent. And we finished off the Blanton's Bourbon last week, so now we just have a, a in place bottle for this week. This is Kentucky Owl Bourbon Whiskey. This is their confiscated label. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting. Um, uh, bourbon. The reason they call it confiscated is because it's supposed to be inspired by the recipe of this family's bourbon before pre-prohibition. Oh. And what's interesting about it, though, is there's like no batch uh, numbers or any indication of how long it's aged. So it's a very mysterious type of bourbon. So I'm curious to say, uh, to see what you think. Cheers. Cheers. What's the proof? 96, yeah, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's pretty complex, actually. It's supposed to taste uh, notes of graham cracker, tobacco, seasoned oak. I really get that graham cracker. I can mm-hmm. see that there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the tobacco because I'm not familiar with that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a, a more of a kind of a bit a bitter bitter taste and it, it kind of lingers a little bit longer on the palate compared to some of some other bourbons but I like the taste that lingers when you first go like before you mm-hmm. drink that I really get that graham cracker right in the mm-hmm. front end of that I'm getting a little caramel myself yeah excellent mm-hmm. yeah I had gotten this a, a couple months ago and yeah you we're no we're no we're not we're not starving for bourbons right now so there's plenty to choose from. A couple good ones at Mikasa as well. So excellent, excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get this started with our flight question. Okay. nice to get a return to gonna fly now which was pretty much absent from part five <laughs> that was the only mistake that movie made though i'm gonna do my best in this episode to not bring up part five as if it doesn't even exist <laughs> just to just to like just continue on like we last left him off in number four i think there's an importance though and we'll get to this in just a minute sure but an importance to reframe six because i think it makes it more meaningful because of what five didn't do sure excellent so you have a chance to Square all your demons, Rocky style. In this. <laughs> all right, excellent. I'm looking forward to that. In the basement. Hit us with the flight question, Matt. Flight question is, if you could take any standalone sports movie that currently 
has no sequels to it, prequel or threequel or anything, and build a franchise out of it, what would it be? So that's the first part of the flight. Okay. And then the second part is I need the premise, and you'll need the premise for me mm-hmm. for parts two and three. Okay. So let's do this first. So let's both go with the film, and then so I'll do the film, then you do the film, and then we can break down what the stories look like in two and three. Okay. You go first. Bull Durham. Okay. Cool. Mine's a dodgeball. Oh, wow. But I picked two because I couldn't come up with a justification for a third (laughs) sequel. I have to say something, Ryan Nation. We haven't seen this Jesse in some months now, but the Jesse who likes to hedge the bets on multiple entries has just returned. So it's a brand reawakening. So I'm cheating. I'm cheating, but not cheating because, yeah, I I have a sequel to to Dodgeball, but not a a threequel. And then I have a sequel to another sports film that I really do like, and that's Rollerball. Okay. So I'm fine with that. There we go. Uh, so you want part two for me for Bull Durham? Mm-hmm. Part two for me is not too far after part one ends. And that is Tim Robbins character, Ebby Nuke Calvin Lalouche has had his grand emergence in the major leagues. And as the hot new arm in, I don't even know who the bulls, the Durham bulls are the farm team for, but mm-hmm. whoever that is. Doing pretty well. I don't know if he's the ace of the staff, but he's doing pretty well. And the lessons that Crash has taught him prior to that are serving him quite effectively, and we're getting a much more humble, restrained, not bulletin board fodder-driven Tim Robbins. Throwing pretty hard, doing really well. Okay. As he's doing that, we're back in the minor leagues, and we're watching Crash Davis give it one more good go. All in this time. And I don't <laughs> I don't mean to be too Rocky-esque in this, but mm-hmm. and we don't need the training montage, but a yeah. reimagining of sorts. Better hours, okay. no booze, swears off women. Okay. Which is a bit of a return yeah. to what we've seen in the first one. And then that, of course, brings the Susan Sarandon character in there because her being uh, put on the back burner is exactly the recipe for a disaster yeah. with that character. Okay. So... And the reason for that is he's going to give it one more final fell attempt to get back to the big leagues. Okay. So for the duration of the movie, probably the first two thirds, maybe halfway through, we're going to watch Tim Robbins killing it in the bigs and Kevin Costner killing it in the littles until he gets the September call up for the playoffs and whether that's by injury or whatever. Okay. But it's not for the team that it's not for the Durham Bulls. Major League affiliate. I should look that up. I should. That's bad for me to mm-hmm. not have known that. But <laughs> gets a September League call up, only whether that's by injury or whatever it might be, to then be the opposing team's catcher okay. that's facing Tim Robbins's team in the AL or NLDS. Okay. With that in tow comes all of the other characters and the triangle, mm-hmm. but here's the piece. Okay. At this point, when he gets the call-up, Kevin Costner, Crash Davis gets the call-up, Annie, Susan Sarandon, isn't with him. She'll come back later, but they're not together. Okay. She's in the movie, but they're not together. One night after everybody heads off, Crash Davis wants to find a simple, quiet bar where he is, and he happens to run into a young lady there. Okay. Of course, they go home together, and as the story unfolds, we find out that that's Tim Robbins's girl. Mm, okay. Let the drama ensue. Yeah, that sounds good. Kind of does, huh? I'm surprised they never they never 
thought about that, like doing a sequel to that one. They had to have had a discussion. That movie made a fortune. I know. And those guys were really popular at that time. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And you know who won't be in the second? Robert Wool. <laughs> Robert Wool. God, can you think of a worse <laughs> actor that was around for entirely too long than Robert Wool? From Batman to Arliss to Bull Durham. Isn't God, he was brutal. Isn't he in The Natural too? He is in The Natural. Um, I don't know. He's in no, the he's in the he's, Babe Ruth movie with John Goodman. Babe. Yes. Yeah. No. He, yeah. Okay. That that guy. <laughs> that's that funny. guy. That's funny. Ugh. Okay. Give me your part three too. Okay. So whatever happens happens, and they make their peace, and we have a winner and a loser. And I'm not even sure I care whether that's Davis or Robbins or Lelouch or whatever you want to call Tim Robbins's character. Yep. Let's go ahead and move forward some number of years. Crash has long since retired, and Tim Robbins, as Calvin Lelouch, has ascended to a latter part, aged veteran, if you will. Whatever team he is, the manager gets fired, and Crash Davis is hired as the manager of that baseball team. Okay. There you go. Simple enough. Yep. So you're kind of reworking through some of what happened in one, certainly that you slept with my girl and maybe your team beat me or maybe my team beat you and the rivalry between those two alphas, but now crash in a superior position as baseball manager Mm -hmm. to at this point, I think Tim Robbins character, who's recognized for the necessity of the series as one of the better pitchers of all time, Mm -hmm. trying to come to terms with having to deal with, superior and anterior positions in the relationship at this point i don't even care if susan sarandon or any of them are in it (laughs) she doesn't have to be in part three (laughs) yeah uh, i'm not exactly sure where that goes with the baseball element yeah i just think that's a nice completion to what i think is a really interesting relationship in film not to tell you Mm -hmm. when that film first came out I was disappointed in it i was too young for that movie Mm -hmm. and i thought that was going to be like a hardcore baseball film and that's what I wanted. Like I wanted the natural minus the ridiculous mystical element that's in that yep. lightning hitting trees and the spirit of dad and all that bullshit that's in that film. <laughs> I like that movie. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want that in there, but I did want a baseball movie. And that really isn't it is. much of a baseball it movie. Isn't. It really isn't. So if you want a baseball movie, it's um, for love of the game. Mm-hmm. And that also is a bit more heavy on the drama than it is the baseball. Yeah. But that's closer I actually don't want that in Bull Durham part three either. I just want these two to come to some understanding with each other. And I don't know what that is. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that moment in the seventh inning when Robbins is, is his arm is fatiguing and there's a guy in first and second and he's ready to pull him. And it's, this is everything you've built me up to be. Don't do, like that moment on the mound that has to be in there. And I think I want them both to probably win whatever winning is together. Okay. And then we ride off into the sunset and we can put that to bed. Interesting. Bull Durham. Nice. I, li- I like your choice. I kind of knew you were going to pick Bull Durham. Really? I kind of did. I Because when I was looking at just kind of lists of sports, I was, I was like, Matt likes this movie a lot. And I was like, I was like, I, I think he could kind of come up with probably some ideas for a sequel for that one. So can I ask you a question about that? Mm-hmm. When did you have that pinpointed? Like when did you, when did that thought cross your mind? I guess when you asked me, and because 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 when you said sequels, and I like, I just kind of thought, okay, what would justify a sequel? And then I was like, oh, Bull Durham. And then I, th- I I went baseball, football, boxing, and then I was, I was I was like, I think Matt's gonna pick Bull Durham. So I just think that's interesting that you know me better than I know me because I didn't decide that until about ten o'clock last night. 
So I should have just called you and said, Jesse, what's my choice? What Save should I pick? A lot of <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So, well, to that. Yeah. So part of that was kind of the difficulty for me when you told me that, that uh, about this question, I liked it. And then I, I started looking and I was like, man, it's really hard for me to justify one sequel to a lot of these sports movies, much less two others. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, and then the ones that I probably would have gone into sequel territory with already have sequels like, uh, uh, Oh shoot! Was it like like Major League or like some some of those movies? So I kind of Blue Chips is out there. <laughs> I could have picked Blue Chips. Have you ever seen Celtic Pride? Yeah, where they kidnap Damon Wayans. Wayans. <laughs> yeah, because he's he's too good for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's a kind of a funny movie. Yeah. Um, so I went with yeah I went with Dodgeball. We'll call it Dodgeball Two: The Revenge of Globo Jim. <laughs> and it's more so it's yeah it's yeah it's Peter uh, Vince Vaughn's character you know really kind of this melding of gyms and he's pretty successful and be more so um the redemption story of white white goodman ben stiller's character because he's fat now so now he's going to lose the weight so i think i see him going like a miyagi sort of journey with a new like dodgeball mentor that's not patches O'Houlihan. it's uh someone else and at the end of the day globo jim's still going to lose because they can't win in in that in that story on espn 8 the ocho um I, I want everyone back. <laughs> everyone yeah. has to come back. That's one of the funniest movies I think that's ever been conceived. It's, oh, yeah. it's, you just put it on, and I don't know how you just not laugh. Right. With Jason Bateman and Gary Cole as the commentators. The Ocho. That's good. <laughs> Bolt like- move cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Bateman. Yeah. The, the, like that whole cat. Yeah. Uh, was that Christine Taylor and mm-hmm. um, Justin Long? Yeah, great cast in 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 that film. Um, so so that's one choice. So then I went with another one that's kind of a, a kind of a, I guess a sleepy cult science fiction movie, which is Rollerball with James Caan and yeah. um, John Houseman. And I I really like that movie. But you know me, I like my science fiction with the little corporate espionage, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what that movie is with like roller derby murder sport. So for those of you that haven't seen rollerball, it's like a roller derby arena and you got to get these balls into the hoops, kind of like Quidditch, but they can like kill you on the court and there's motorcyclists and it's kind of insane. And it's like, that's like the undercurrent to the political, uh, the corporate tension taking place within rollerball. But I think they just had the seedlings in that to expand on what the rest of the United States and the world looks like through the eyes of rollerball as a sport. I know they remade that movie John McTiernan did in the early 2000s, and it's trash. But I'd like to see a continuation with that. Why not? I don't even care if James Conn's in it. Just I just want to see more of that world. So give me the the basic idea. Like like Rollerball has become a worldwide phenomenon, and we have global interests all at stake, um, sort of vying for global domination yeah. through the teams they put in the rink. That sounds good. That could be awesome. Yep. Boy, you could be playing with a lot of very heavy things in that, and that fits that science fiction, corporate, global espionage thing that is right up your alley. And that and that's interesting because I, I haven't seen that movie in many a decade. The science fiction that comes out now, and I like it. Like it's very cerebral, it's very epic, it's it's big, or it's very space opera like that Star Wars and Star Trek and those type of films, Planet of the Apes. I haven't seen that corporate like espionage science fiction thriller that was so big in the seventies, whether that's some, alien. Yeah. Like whether it's alien or RoboCop, um, soil and green. Like yeah. I haven't, we haven't, we haven't really seen that movie in a, in a real long time. Like the corporate, um, takeover corporate villain aspect. So eh, it might be time to bring that one back. 
I like those choices. Yeah. For all the film producers and studios out there, we're just a phone call away. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll write dodgeball too. <laughs> Revenge of Globo Gen. Before you cut us out real quick. Suck failure, LaFleur. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the new trailer for Freaky? Yes, I did. The new Vince Vaughn flick? I, was, I should have texted you because I was like... Man, this is Friday, uh, Freaky Friday meets like Friday the 13th. It's like, and with Vince Vaughn, I was like, I was like, you're going to love this movie. I'm going to love it. For anybody that hadn't seen it yet, check it out. But the idea is Vince Vaughn's a serial killer and they go through that Freaky Friday promise or premise and he switches with a high school girl. Yeah. It, it's by the Happy Death Day group. Yeah. And I really love the tone of that film. It has everything. I'm on board. It has everything in it you want. Vince Vaughn, you like Vince Vaughn, and then high concept, and then this kind of horror, and then you did like Happy Death Day, and I did too. Yeah, that looks like a that looks like a blast. A lot of fun. I'll have to wait to see when that one comes out. All right, love your choices. Uh, So let's go ahead and get this thing going. I'm so excited to talk about Rocky Balboa. Dixon and Lozan Balboa. Rocky has no So it's been a while since I've seen this movie too. So this morning before we, we put it on, I was like, how does this movie start again? And it's, it's it's kind of a montage of Mason, the line Dixon, played by real life boxer Antonio Tarver, and kind of his reputation in the boxing world. It's like a montage of his fights, but he's like, he's really pinned into a corner as like a villain that he's kind of made on his own regard. And like, he's not well liked in the boxing world. Antonio Tarver as Mason, the line Dixon in this really has a quest, if you will, to recover a sense of pride. Can we talk about how good that name is too? Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Have it. It's for something, the Mason-Dixon line, which is a barrier that divided the northern and southern states during the Civil War. Like, Don't cross the line. That's a clever line, especially for, for him. The the bad guy names in this franchise. Oh, they're so good. With the exception of Tommy the... That's all right. It's not awful. Yeah. They're all really good. Apollo Creed. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Clubber Lane. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is right in line with that. They've done a great job with the names. Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, his quest to recover his pride is what's really important. And I think he's gotten so far away from his roots that we have that moment where he goes back to his version of Mix mm-hmm. to meet with the original trainer just to basically have a come-to-Jesus meeting over what have I become. Because here's the ghosts that are haunting mm-hmm. Mason Lion Dixon. And frankly, I don't know if the fight at the end is going to serve him better to, to um, exercise these ghosts. Mm-hmm. But... He's a paper champion, and that's the criticism levied against him. He hasn't beat anybody good. The heavyweight division is pretty soft right now, and he's the best of a bad crop of fighters. I like how the word in the boxing world is, you fought a bum. They're all bums. <laughs> bums. Hey, the bum from the duck. Yeah, yep. bum. Mm-hmm. That's very Philly, too, right? Yeah. That's a big term in yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, that's got to be a Philly thing. Yep. That's a bum. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which is really kind of a terrible thing to tell someone if you think about it. I don't want to be called a bum. Yeah, it's... <laughs> anyway, well, I think he's Mason, considered the best of a, cl- a crop 
of bums, mm-hmm. I guess we could say. And I think he's portrayed really well as the villain right from right from the get-go, but also a sympathetic villain, too. You really kind of feel he doesn't want to be in this situation. He hates that this career that he's really good at. I mean, he's 33-0 and 0 and with 30 knockouts, but he's just he's not respected. He's, he doesn't know how to turn it around, and... He's just constantly compared to all these other fighters. Like it's, it's that's got to be frustrating from him from from his perspective. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of reasonable competition coming. Now I know that his old trainer that he has his give me a state on what my life has become conversation with mm-hmm. says there's always another guy coming. He just has no idea the other guy coming is <laughs> Rocky Balboa. Sure, yeah. When he comes. So let's talk about the first uh, kind of montage of sorts with Rocky kind of catching up with him and where he's been the last 16 years since Rocky Five, And I like what they do here. I mean, it's, it's real simple. He wakes up, he feeds the birds, he goes and collects, you know. He feeds the birds gumdrops. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, know, that's, that's I don't know. Maybe they like gumdrops. <laughs> yeah. But he goes to the Italian gypsy market and he's like, he's, again, like really well-liked, well-regarded. They're, everyone's really friendly to him. Um, he has this restaurant now called Adrian's, this Italian restaurant, and Spider Rico gets a free a free meal every night. <laughs> is he's Rocky's always looking out for her, for the people around him, which would good that they see. And that's where I kind of come in on the whole Marie thing coming up is really kind of looking out for these people in the best interest. I mean, if he's going to go that far for Spider Rico, there's nobody from the first film. Like I can see him doing that with the people around him, which the people around him are limited in, in in how many there are. That's been so consistent the whole series Mm -hmm. though. Rocky's the anchor and all of these people are tethered to him. And so much of Rocky being able to meet these people's needs is remaining buoyant enough to stay afloat in the onset of waves that just continually slam into this character, mm-hmm. whether that be boxing, which would be physical, or the emotional piece, or the loss, Adrian, Polly, like it just never, and they're all tethered to him, and that still is not changing in this movie. Spider Rico, we haven't even remembered since the first five minutes of the first movie. Yeah. And I love that. He, I don't want to say he plays an integral role in this film because it's not. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely maybe maybe Easter eggy is a yeah, way yeah. to put it. That's pretty good. But like with a definite role in the movie, mm-hmm. he's become the chaplain. He's the he's the dishwasher. And like I guess what I'm saying here is Rocky never left anybody behind once yeah. you were in with him. Mm-hmm. And the thing I think to me that really came through today is he's always been so open to let you be in with him. Yeah. Philadelphia loves Rocky. Oh yeah. Everyone's high five in pictures. Hey rock. Hey rock. The he's their champ. champion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the streets of Philadelphia love him and they love him because he does have these big arms and he's going to wrap them around you. And that's played out again with Spider and Marie. What did you think of this montage? This, I guess is the anniversary of Adrian's passing and it's kind of like a, journey through like all their first the pet store the ice rink the grave where he always sits i think every day comes to visit like it's part of his routine and we get Polly again being as cantankerous as ever but then we get kind of rocky kind of yeah we're just kind of living in the past here and it's it's really sad you know he 
the his own son didn't even kind of come to be a part of this. Like Rocky, like truly now that Adrian's gone, like there's not a lot of people like for him to be close with. Um, yeah, sad's a way to put it. And they're certainly letting the audience live through that with Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's emotional. And every memory seems to be based or tied to something with Adrian. Mm-hmm. And what you're getting now is a man who essentially is estranged from his son, mm-hmm. widowed, or sorry, widower from the death of his wife. Yeah. And about all that's left from the former version of Rocky is Polly. He's not the fighter he used to be. Apollo's long gone. So there's really not a whole lot left. And then, do you know what it reminded me of really was mm. Re- Rebecca? Mm. The restaurant he works in is named Adrian. Yeah. And it's filled with, as much as there's the shrine over on the northeast wall of his, his accomplishment. Mur- his Apollo mural. Yep. There's one at the guest stand of her. Yeah. Right when you walk in. And so there's the specter of Adrian in this place and mm-hmm. in his life. And the movie isn't afraid. And I guess to let you live through it. And they spend a good 20 minutes in this film mm-hmm. on the anniversary of her death or their, I'm not sure what anniversary that's it is. What I, that's, some what, anniversary that's what I thought it was. Of her yeah. passing. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't look over. Cause I was, <laughs> I was crying. Okay. I really was. It's yeah, it was, it's tough. It's, man. it's well done too. It's like, I like how it's paced out and you got Bill Conti back and he's not doing his vanilla ice impression this time. So it's the music's actually really good in this movie again. And all the places that we visited with them early on in the story, mm-hmm. which I don't think were grand places, mm-hmm. have fallen into a state of disrepair or decrepitude, and they're even worse. Like that ice skating rink. It's bit, not even there. It's rough. Yeah, man. they tore it down. So you just get Rocky dealing with the state of what his life is now. And I don't think he's unhappy, but this is really important to the scene that I know we're going to talk about. Cause you told me something I thought was important today, which is your favorite scene in the whole franchise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're setting up to why that discussion is going to matter so much and maybe even more so with who he has it with. Sure. But I saw so that's a really long answer. What did I think of it? It's hard for me to watch. Yeah. Shed a couple tears. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's pretty well put together. Beautifully I'm, done. I'm kind of glad Sylvester Stallone's back in the director's chair. Me too. I think well some done. I think some time has passed for him to kind of reflect on his career and kind of come to terms. And he's been very vocal on record saying, I was negligent when we did Rocky Five. Like, we did it for all the wrong reasons. It was money. And it wasn't a proper send-off for the character. For So for him to realize that, to get back into the writer's computer and the director's chair to give one last stab at it this whole film to me just feels like a much better send-off than the prior entry i mean it's it's self-referential and easter egg oh, yeah. uh, to the rest of the series the little nods and and stuff here or there to the introduction of marie who we haven't seen since the first film like to me this film bookends part one better than what they thought they were doing in part five jesse when did sage pass uh it was after this it was like 2012 i think okay so it wasn't yet mm-hmm in a weird, weird way, Rocky is doing the most, I'm sorry, Sylvester Stallone is doing the most method version of acting without going through yeah. method acting. Yeah, he doesn't have to. When you say self-referential, boy, you've said a mouthful there because the movie is him and yep. his story. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the final candle on that birthday cake of Rocky's greatness would be 
dealing with the loss of Sage or an estrangement from his son. And thank mm-hmm. God that that didn't happen because that would make that even tougher to shoot as he's dealing with that. But as he's yeah. talking to Polly and we're talking about exercising these demons and I have stuff in my basement and I miss my wife, he's not just talking about and Apollo and, and Mick. That's his life. Mm-hmm. For all of us. And and Sylvester Stallone has his own personal story that I don't know as well as I know mine or yours. Yeah. But we all have that. And that gets back to that's why he's such a believable character is the man's dealing with the shit that we all deal with in everyday life. Tell me about the stuff. What about it? Tell me about the stuff inside. Is it angry? Angry? Are you mad because Adrian left you? She didn't leave, Paul. She died. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. You know, sometimes it's hard to breathe. I I feel like this beast inside me. It's okay, Rocco. Please, it's okay. Is it? Okay. You know, I just never knew it was supposed to be this hard. It wasn't supposed to be like this, Paul, you know. So this whole scene kind of gets to the crux of what I was talking about in the Rocky IV uh, episode with Rocky's big crux in this film is this willingness to prove that he has a little bit left in the basements, the word that they use a lot in this film, that he has a little bit of drive left to prove that he can go the distance again. And it's not age isn't just a thing slowing him down. I mean... He feels like he's got something to prove to the doubters and the people out there. And this was kind of Apollo's gambit in part four, which is, man, you you don't think about that because you're still on top, but I'm not anymore. So I have to do this to prove it to myself. And Rocky doesn't see it there, but here I think he's living it when, especially when he's haunted by the ghosts of the past of his son and then his wife and Polly and mixed Jim and this, like he can't get out under the shadow of, what life was like before and the only way to do to move past that is to kind of exercise this demon within which is this need to fight again uh yeah i think that that's a, that's a really really emotional scene again there in the meat locker you had to play that one so i'd sit here and closing my eyes try to mm-hmm. damn them back and it's not so much that people are probably on the other end of this going like oh my god matt enough <laughs> it's hard not to for me not to watch that and like look back at pieces of my own life. And I don't have the tragedy. Yeah. I never had my best friend die in my arms. Or, like, I'm not saying that. Yeah. My life is not a movie. That's mm-hmm. why I like film. Because mm-hmm. I don't want, I actually don't want my life to be a movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, that'd be a nightmare. I'm okay for the second act slag to live in real life. You guys can have the drama on the silver screen and I'll just do it like voyeuristically, right? Uh-huh. That's yep. Okay. <laughs> so, but everything's so relatable and the loss and that idea of, what do I have left and how can I prove it? Do you know what else it reminded me of mm. was the searchers? Oh yes. The rocking chair. John Wayne refuses to sit in that rocking chair because the minute he gets off his feet and relaxes is the minute he accepts that he's become too civilized. And in the West, that means you're dead. Yeah. You're, you're done. You're retired. All that we're missing is Morgan Freeman and a voiceover in the background saying, get busy living or get busy dying. Mm-hmm. It's goddamn right. So again, we are dealing with a common theme, like life is what you make it while you have it. And this is also goes back to the conversation he's going to have with Robert, and I'm going to let you run with it when we get there. Okay. Life is all of these things, 
And if you let all of the things be the sum total of what your life is, there's no life left. You have to continue to champion on despite the good and the bad. But yeah. here's one thing I'll also say about Rocky. Yeah. Like we're a little dour and this is a little morose beginning and it's a little <laughs> sullen and it's supposed to be that way because we're, well, we're, we're getting in late. There's a 16 years right. of catch up. There's been plenty of joy in Rocky up to this point also. Mm -hmm. Its books are balanced. It reminded me a lot of part two. Let's hear it. Uh, the, the montage in part two, like post-wedding and we spent all the money and I can't get a job and I don't, I'm not educated. I got to... He's like in a real down place at, at at that point before he considers getting back into the ring. So this is kind of him. He's like he's he's got stuff going for him, but he just doesn't seem happy doing doing all of it. And so he really wants to get into the boxing thing. So before the crux of the film gets started, he's got to go prove that I am still worthy or I'm I'm still eligible to get a boxing license. I mean, maybe you're doing your job, but why you got to stop me from doing mine? Because if you're willing to go through all the battling you got to go through to get to where you want to get, who's got the right to stop you? I mean, maybe some of you guys got something you never finished, something you really want to do, something you never said to somebody, something. And you're told no, even after you pay your dues, who's got the right to tell you that? Who? Nobody. It's your right to listen to your gut. It ain't nobody's right to say no and to earn the right to be where you want to be and do what you want to do. You know, the older I get, the more things I got to leave behind. That's life. The only thing I'm asking you guys to leave on the table is what's right. Rocky just wants the right. Hey, if I want to go out there and fight and if I want to get my, my ass kicked or if I want to get killed, like, let me make that decision. Don't leave it up to you, the suits. Amen. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like, amen. Yeah. That is so applicable in this movie, of course, but how you want to apply it and anything you want to apply it to. Yeah. Who are you to tell me yay or nay? Mm -hmm. And Rocky presents, what I also like about this too, is the way that he presents a case that's almost bordering on inaudible again. Yes. We're returning to the early version of Rocky, mm -hmm. and it's almost like in a heightened state of anxiety, not the refined boss wearing sweatshirt and feathered hair and Harley Davidson and glamorized version of Rocky. We're getting yeah. Rocky at brass tacks. Yeah. I've always believed Jesse mm -hmm. that it's the best measure of a person when things are going South mm. because all that pretense is stripped away and you get what someone's soul is like. It's easy mm -hmm. to be great when things are good. You really find out a lot about someone when things are not. Isn't that what the Joker said? And <laughs> he's right. He said that. So no, I know exactly what I mean. And like, this is it. You're, you're Rocky's, getting it in his Rocky's at the lowest low right now to prove prove his worth to at least himself. And then yeah, you get the raw emotion come out, and it's something Stallone's always been really good at. He's really good in this movie, acting wise. Really good in this movie, and he's got a lot of these like almost monologues to kind of prove, like to, to prove that to get his point across, and he kills all of them. Like he's so good at it. So let's get to the what well, the plot of this film essentially is. So gosh, we haven't even got there yet, have yeah, we? Yeah, I know. We got it's long it's, podcast this week. Get 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 the get the characters set up first. So the real gist of this film is this ESPN simulation that they they run on Boxing Tonight one night, and it's uh, kind of what if today's current champion Mason the Line Dixon took off a uh, champion of the past? So they throw Rocky in there again. You know what's that's kind of like, and I just thought of this now. 
for them to even just pick Rocky as like the example to put him up against, that's almost kind of like how Apollo picked him out of that book at the beginning. Like, let's just pick this fighter of all the legendary fighters in boxing history just to see what happens. That's good. I would thought about that. You're right. And in this simulation, like Rocky wins and it's shocking to everybody. And 13th round in a hail of shovel. What is it? Shovel hook uppercut. And yeah. knocks Mason Dixon the hell out. Yeah. So in Mason Dixon's corner, he he's trying to get on the right foot here and be be treated legitimately as not the villain. So his promoters and his managers are like, look, this fight, this thing got people interested. It could make us a lot of money. It could get you looking better in the eyes of the public. And he's like, I don't want that. That's like, that's a show. And like, I, like, I don't need to do a show. And then on Rocky's corner, he kind of sees it as an opportunity. But then it's like that whole age versus youth factor that if he gets in there, like, man, well, like, if, like, what am I asking for? I can't tangle with the younger boxer. I was just going to go fight the the church fights is what I wanted to do. You're back uh, with the Jesus painting mural over above me in Spider Rico. So in this film, coincidentally, bookended with the first one, he kind of gets that, uh, that look of the draw opportunity, yeah. once in a lifetime chance to kind of prove it to the champion again. And it's, and I like how it plays out over this simulation on ESPN and then all the talking heads. Matt and I talked about how we can't even watch ESPN nowadays because it's like it's not good. But like like back in the day, I used to watch it all the time, and they'd be this is how they do it. Like Skip Bayless and all those guys just they're just talking shit. So I do think of all the talking heads, the choice of Brian Kenny is an appropriate one. Mm-hmm. Brian Kenny before Kellerman kind of stepped in and took that role was the resident expert at ESPN on boxing, and then he hosted a show later on. It might have been on the MLB network, but it essentially was, and I don't remember what the title of the show was, but the one that I really remember is why you can't blame Bill Buckner for the Red Sox losing the 86 World Series. <laughs> Top 10 reasons. And so it was, that's pretty good. Yeah, a contrarian look at moments in sports history that played out in historic fashion, hmm. but maybe there was a lot of the other story that people didn't consider. And that Bill Buckner one with the 86 Red Sox is a great one where they missed the ground ball between the legs and the Mets win and all that. So using Brian Kinney as that is a really good choice. And that was striking to me in this film. Mm -hmm. They put a lot of talking heads and ESPN like stuff that you said, I'm with you. Yeah. They put a lot of effort into the production of the support systems around it. Like when they're in Vegas at that fight, that auditorium, whether that's the MGM or Mohegan Sun or I don't, well, I don't I know. I thought it was Caesars Palace. Caesars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mohegan Sun, I think that might even, is that even, I think that's <laughs> Arizona, huh? wherever, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is. No, it's it, filled. It, it looks like an HBO pay-per-view fight, like production quality. Looks yeah. good. Jimmy Buffer there. Yep. I mean. The works. It's all there. Yeah. So they put some money into paying for those extras. And also, did you notice, mm. like when, this is off the subject a little bit, but when the fight ends and Rocky's leaving, how the instructions must have been from background or the extras. Mm-hmm. We want you to doll yourself up like it's New Year's Eve, so we want plenty of plunging <laughs> necklines yes. and plenty of bling. And yep. they're all... Do people really dress like that to go to fights? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess a fight can be a glamorous occasion. I don't know. I know, because I, I mean, the only ones I've ever seen are a few here locally, and nobody wore that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I don't... Maybe it's Vegas. Yeah. It's in Vegas. It looks real. Mm-hmm. The voices sound real. The conversations they have after the, the, the video, comment, the commentary, yeah, feels feels good. Burt Sugar in there was mm-hmm. one of the earliest sportscasters that I really found to be interesting. Long, young, young me 
would listen to Al Bernstein and Burt Sugar break down boxing. Like, I love boxing. I don't know if anyone's picked up on that. Like mm-hmm. I, it's probably top five of my favorite sports, but not in the current state. Yeah, I loved it as a kid growing up. It's excellent. Not as good now. Yeah. So I remember Al Bernstein and Burt Sugar and all of those characters and Burt Sugar with his fedora and these bombastic statements and Larry Merchant being in the ring, semi drunk with all the post in fight interview. Like, oh my God, Jesse. Yeah. It is very authentic. Good. They did a great job. Yeah, I'm glad they kind of went this angle mm-hmm. with that. Uh, I had forgotten that it was kind of presented this way, this fight. Uh, okay, so we got to get Rocky on board, and so he takes a little convincing. And the person kind of in his corner, and it's this whole other element of the, of the, the story, is this reunion with Little Marie from the street corner who works at the bar and... He kind of, like I said, like you asked me, is like, do you think this is like a romantic thing? And I was like, I don't know. Like, he's like, he's very upfront saying like, I still love Adrian, even though she's dead. But it kind of comes back to that. Rocky always takes care of the people in his lives. If he's, if, if, if he's, if he's willing to kind of go that way, get her a job to look after her son who doesn't have a father figure. And I think he gravitates towards steps is what his name is. Because <laughs> his own son doesn't even want to be a part of his life, which is very tragic. So I think he takes a shine to to steps and like help me pick out my dog and this and then come get a, the restaurant and I'll, I'll look after you. It's all he's got right now. As sad as that sounds, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the humble nature of what he needs in order to be happy again is also what really works for Rocky. And again, I'm setting up that sequence we're going to talk about in a few minutes that you like so much. Mm-hmm. Rocky's always been humble. His demon or his yeah. In, uh, internal conflict has never been let's find some humility because there's just too much vanity in this man yeah happened that's one of the moments in five that does sort of work even though we both agree that the way that they bankrupt themselves is nonsense <laughs> but him being okay with going back to Polly's yeah. little house and living simply mm-hmm. he doesn't seem bothered by that no this man at this point just wants to reassemble some structure of social relationships or friendship. Yeah. And anyone that's a nice enough person and will have him, he will have. Yeah. Cause I mean, the last thing that Maurice said to him before we left this was screw you creepo. I know. And they bring it up and he's remembered that. And it's been a bit of a dagger that he's been at in his, in his heart for a while. And he 40 years later, Oh my gosh, poor guy. Yep. But Marie is I think a suitable, I mean this with great caution, Mm -hmm. love interest in this film. I do think it's in there to be at least considered by the audience, but I don't think it's played out to that. But there's definitely, they actually address it. They talk about it. Yeah, they do. And then there's the kiss in the doorway a little bit later that is... Somewhat of like family to family. Like, you know, I kissed my family. Yeah, that, that that's what that felt like. Right. So I'm, I'm with you. But there is, there's a hint. Of, and I think that works. Yeah. Because like you said. Yeah. Rocky just wants a friend. Just, and just Polly's not a good friend. Just willing to look out. Just look out for those around you. So she, she helps convince him. Like, if this is something you feel like you got to do, then go do it. So. Can we talk about Marie for a minute? Yeah. Have you seen that actress in anything else? Mm-mm. Isn't she good in this? Mm-hmm. I think she's terrific in this. Yeah. Who is that? Geraldine Hughes. Uh, like like you said, I've never seen her in another film. If I have, and it's just I don't remember. What was the... You're the money guy on this. Okay. What was this movie made for? Uh, 24, 26 million? 
And you said it was his biggest hit since Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger so yeah. essentially an eight year run of eight years. Shit. 10 uh, years. No, that's 93 to 2006, 13, 13 years yeah. about the time of Rocky. Yep. Um, what did it, what did it gross? Do you know? Like 150. Holy smokes. Yeah, it did pretty good. Interesting. I'm wondering if maybe the selection of her was budgetary. Um, I have no idea. It's a slam dunk yeah, casting. It's, it's, a, it's a good little casting in general in this film is again on Spot point. On. Yep. So she helps convince him to kind of get back in the ring. And then one thing I kind of forgot about, you know, we talked about our bond formula of with Rocky and you get, you get a fight, you get this recap, you get a training montage. One thing that I forgot that you get in literally all five Rocky. And then even in the first one, except you see that one on TV is a press conference. There's always the press conference scene. Say you're beating an old guy, you lose, say a thumb in the eye, you beat the joke of the decade. You all know that'll never happen. This is only an exhibition. Don't go trying to make more of this than that computer trial. Okay. Is this sport in enough trouble without these circus events? Next question. Cheap bit of ring theater between, no offense, a has been and a man whose own credible legacy and popularity is in doubt. What's the upside? Doubt? Upside? I mean, what do you mean upside? I mean, what do I have to do? You know, I'm 33 and over 30 knockouts. I'm doing you people a favor. I'm having this exhibition for you all. And you're going to get up here and make a mockery out of me? I'm the champ. I mean, I get pissed, this guy get hurt. See you at the fight. So they both have things working against them. Like they're already crucifying this fight before it's even happened. Rocky, you're, they're calling you a Bulbosaurus because uh, of your age. Mason, why the hell are you even doing this like promotional stick with this fight? Like what are you, what are you both, they both are like, it's like a lose-lose for both of them at this point. I think you're watching some of Mason Dixon's troubles with bad promoters. Mm-hmm. And it's reminiscent of what Rocky dealt with at various times in the film, whether that be Mick protecting hit from him, mm-hmm. protecting him from it, or in the entire bad guy in number five. Duke. <laughs> bad promoters. And they've just said, look, we created this wonderful world for you, Mason, and you've acted like an asshole and ruined it. And actually, he doesn't. At this point, even in that moment, he's not really that big an asshole. No. But something has happened, and the crowd doesn't love to see him fight anymore, and I can't tell you, mm-hmm. and we don't know why that is. Yeah. Are the bad fights? Who knows? Mm-hmm. So this is almost a Hail Mary to resurrect this guy's career that's entirely determined through the promotional element of the Mason-Dixon Corporation. Mm-hmm. And they're so desperate that they'll take a video simulation yeah. on ESPN and use that as the crux. Yeah. And I think he recognizes that. Yeah. Look, if you're up in front of a crowd and they're questioning your credibility as a boxing champion, tell me in in any way how taking an exhibition fight against a guy in his late 50s to early 60s does one damn bit of good for you. Because if you lose, your career's over. Yeah. And if you win, everyone's going to say, well, I mean, he just beat you, a 50. You beat an old man. Yeah. Can why why I, would he take other than the money? Uh, yeah, it has to be, and it's the only thing that is being offered. Because when the promoters come in later, they're like, "No one that wants to fight you. We can't book anything. Like this is it." I just think there's a lot of really interesting places with Tarver and the money, sure. and because they don't actually play much of that other than the former trainer that he sits down with when they have the come to Jesus about who you are, yeah, 
and he says, can I have some of your money? And he laughs and he says, I love you, but not that much, yeah. right? There, there doesn't seem to be a money element that's heavy with uh, Mason Dixon, Antonio Tarver. Yeah. And, and I'm not, this is not a slam on the film. Oh, yeah. Actually, I find it sort of an interesting piece. And I'm wondering now, like there's been a lot of conversation about Creed three, mm -hmm. Deontay Wilder and it's Clipper Lang's son. Is there not an out here with Mason Dixon? To bring him back? I, I mean, think I, about it. I'd see that. They've got some potential with that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on. Interesting. And In real life, though, no one would take this fight. Um. Yeah, yeah exactly. I see it more of, of him trying to get out of the shadow of playing the villain role. It looks like it's just wearing down on him on his image, his legacy, and they they have conversations about all the all what that means for for everybody. But they're gonna do it, and the first person that it's gonna rub the wrong way is his son, Rocky Balboa Jr. Who's what I like about this film too is there's a 16 year gap since the last one, and this film doesn't spend a lot of time trying to explain why the relationship is the way it is. Maybe it has something to do with mom's death, um, whenever that happened. But I like that. I like that there's just like this void between these two characters and what's it going to take for them to kind of repair. And Robert's like, he's like, it's always been hard being your son. You're like, I live in your shadow. They only want to talk about you. I can't make it on my own name. And people only hang out with me because I'm your son. So he's, and if you do this fight and you embarrass yourself, like, what are they going to say? Like, I'm going to be the laughingstock too. It's not just you, it's me. He's And he's got some point there to, to that. He's got some stake in this family legacy, this name. Rocky Balboa. He has the same name too. So it all kind of comes to head in this scene here where he's laying it on thick and then Rocky kind of takes it all in and then kind of gives him like the best motivational speech ever. But let me play it first and then we'll, we can talk about it. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood. You're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't gonna have a life. Don't forget to visit your mother. It's rough. We've never seen Rocky in this kind of place before. Bar beach scene in part three. Uh, he really lays it on thick for his, for his son here and really kind of lets him know, like, forget being tied to my name and this and that, unless you start living for yourself, you're, you're not going to have a life. And, and even though I might sound angry and, and whatnot, he's like, he's like, it still doesn't change the fact that you're my son and I love you. And I think it's a really poignant moment in this film. And I don't know if you kind of noticed the way it was shot too. So when Robert's doing his kind of spiel about how embarrassing this is for him, it's like a real nice medium shot of the, of Milo Ventimiglia there. And then when it's, 
And then when he comes to a head, they kind of pull back for this long shot of them standing in the alleyway, this big gap between the two of them. And then we switch to Rocky's perspective. And then as it gets even more heated, when he says cowards do that and that ain't you, it gets really close. Like Stallone knows how to put the camera like where we're supposed to be focusing. When it's getting emotional, we're supposed to be in there with the characters. He pushes that camera in as close as you can. But I think the camera like also is good at showing the void and the divide between both these characters. That's just that's just staging and framing of where the actors are standing. And I think it speaks a lot in this scene. Other than some anecdotal or personal memoir commentary on the scene, I don't need to deduce this for the people that are listening. But mm-hmm. I think there's an important point here. Yeah. And that's what the franchise. So for everybody out there who watched the scene twice, Jesse informed me that this is his favorite bit in the entire six film saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is go with that? I mean, I, I, you gave me my cathedral scene in two. Yeah. So go talk. Well, I just part, want to hear well, what well, part of it's the that. camera thing I just mentioned. I yeah. think it's kind of put together and, and scored really well, but it's Stallone just commanding the, the scene with the motivational speech. But what they're talking about is more than just their relationship, but it's about legacy. It's about work ethic. It's about going out there and proving what you can do and kind of not considering the naysayers, which I think is a very important thing. I think people struggle and doubt their own abilities sometimes because they're afraid. We talk a lot about in order to catch lightning and bottle, you have to always go out into the rainstorm. That's kind of what this is. If you don't put yourself out there, you'll always you'll have those doubts. You'll, you'll have that, but you can't be afraid of that. And I think that's what Rocky's saying here. And in doing so, he's trying to repair a relationship with this son that's gone south. And I think both actors are just really good in this scene. And you know me, Matt, when that P- Bill Conti piano starts going, like mm-hmm. that's enough to just tie it all in together. I don't think we've ever seen Stallone this good in this series before. And this is the sixth and not final entry. But I thought when I was watching this, I thought this is the last time I was going to see Rocky on the screen. And he's killing it. Directing, writing, acting. I mean, we don't need to sing Stallone's praises anymore, but this is probably his best performance of the six movies so far. (laughs) Yeah, I don't disagree with (laughs) anything. He's really good. I like that part where, you know, Milo Ventimiglia, Robert says, Dad, you gave me all of this, and I've had to live in your shadow, and it's been this terrible, Kurt, blah, 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 crybaby bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And then Salone doesn't even address the wealth and the fame and the fortune and everything's gone on there. It's like, he doesn't even take issue with that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's never mattered to him. But you know what has mattered to him? Yeah. And that's, I didn't raise you to be a baby. Yeah. I didn't raise you to be soft. If there's one thing that no one would ever say about Rocky, it's like that guy had a glass jaw. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean in the ring, I mean in life. Yeah, exactly. And he's looking at his son saying, I'll be damned if you're going to walk over this grave Mm -hmm. that I've created or that will be what is my legacy and piss on it with this soft, Mm -hmm. can't do. And then I love that the final line in that is, don't forget to visit your mother. Is that this scene? Well, that's heartbreaking too. That makes right. it sound like the son has kind of neglected that too, and he doesn't go up to the grave at all. You're better than that. See, that's what makes me think that the the the, the Adrian's death was kind of the catalyst for like whatever happened. I think and I don't right. need, I don't need to see that scene. No. It, they've done enough to imply that this isn't well, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, this son is estranged mm-hmm. for no good goddamn reason other than he's just having his own little pity party, mm-hmm. which he shouldn't be having. I mean, he's got it so bad he's working in a three piece suit at some financial institution or something. Yeah, give me a break. But I like the next scene because go to the cemetery and here comes the son and 
he's already starting to kind of come around come around he's like i quit that job i just want to be around you right now it's a great moment it's this embrace before the you got to repair all the crap before you start training like that's the rules of the rocky franchise adrian's got to come out of the coma (laughs) i I, we got to have our our beach fight adrian's got to come out to moscow I don't know, whatever five was. And then this one, like, like we got to have, like, we got to have that coming together moment. So the cohesive family, and in this case, it's literal family, has to be good before we can get right with this thing. Yeah. So let's talk about another person who shows up in this movie. So Tony Burton's back as Duke. All right. <laughs> All there is to know about fighting. So there's no sense us going down that same old road again. To beat this guy, you need speed. You don't have it. And your knees can't take the pounding. So hard running is out. And you got arthritis in your neck. And you've got calcium deposits on most of your joints. So sparring is out. I had that problem. So what we'll be calling on is good old-fashioned blunt force trauma. Horsepower. Heavy-duty, cast-iron, pile-driving punches that will have to hurt so much they'll rattle his ancestors. Every time you hit him with his shot, it's got to feel like he tried kissing the express train. Yeah, let's start building some hurting bombs. I like that in this scene, they addressed the elephant in the room, which is like, look, Stallone, you're like 65 maybe when we're making this thing. You're you're older. You're not part one, Rocky, or part three, Rocky, for that matter. And we can't we can't fight the same way. So the only way you're going to stand like, like strength's always been your like greatest uh attribute we got to enhance that now for this one i love this training montage it's great i do too and tony burton again Mm -hmm. what a great film trainer Mm -hmm. the speed and the shucking and jiving of creed get away from the whole he just knows how to Mm -hmm. take with what clay he's been given and sculpt it into a masterpiece yeah and this is a very limited piece of clay in some regards yeah it's very clunky golem like yep and he's going to find a way to take what that is, and we're going to turn you into the thing. Like, I mean that. Like, Ben Richards, the thing. Clobber in time. Yeah. Love it. Nice. He has to fight that way. My only- Rocky's never been a good mover. Like, he caught the chicken once. He's never been fast. So yes. why are you going to... You And it makes even less sense to do that now. Yeah. So you're going to drop bombs, heavy bombs, and let's start training that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the training montage, too. Yeah, he's... Yeah, it's... It, it, so around this time, we talked about it last week. Like, there was all this plethora of, like reinvigorating old franchises with new entries, whether that's Terminator Salvation or this one, Rambo, Indiana Jones 4, Live Free or Die Hard. There was like this movement of, okay, let's give them the nostalgia, but like, let's just continue on the series. But like the the joke is that they're old. And I think it, I like that Rambo movie too, but I think it works the best in this movie, like addressing the age element because it's part of the story. Yeah. I'd add the expendables to that list as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right. There's a hundred reasons why Kingdom of the Crystal Skull doesn't work for me, but one of them is I don't buy Harrison as Indy anymore in that, and that's a problem when I can't buy into the lead character anymore. Right. Like, that ship has passed. But here, when it's such an integral part of the story mechanism, I'm willing to buy it because that's um, as much an antagonist as Mason the Line Dixon is his age. <laughs> right, age, exactly. Well said. So they train. It's amazing. We get to Vegas, and then we get that pay-per-view HBO presentation. It did. 
correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the fighter, the David O. Russell, didn't that have kind of an HBO kind of presentation? Mm-hmm. I was trying to remember. I was like, there's another movie that did this. They pr- probably took it from this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I like that. I, I remember, yeah, with those HBO Boxing After Dark is what they used to call it. Mm-hmm. And this whole presentation style, which is very different from any of the, the prior films in this series. And... It's not going Rocky's way to begin with. I mean, he starts out the fight in his typical Rocky fashion, take punches to the head, let me get a couple of good blows on him, and then he's just already bleeding by the end of round one. I think it's knocked down twice in the first round. <laughs> yes, yeah. So it's not looking good, and it, like all the commentators, everyone's talking, everyone's talking shit, and then... Uh, it's always the round two, the end of round two resurgence is what we'll call it, where he like musters up enough. And in this one, I kind of like this element too because it gives even Rocky more of a chance. Mason Dixon breaks his wrist or his hand on Rocky's on Rocky's rib cage, so like his left hand's essentially kind of useless now. So this gives Rocky a little bit more of an advantage to take it as far as it possibly can go. And people would say like. Afterwards, like, oh, Mason Dixon was hurt in that fight. But, like, it, it makes this equally interesting. It makes it more believable, I think. If you want to see that play out in real life, you can find it really quickly. Go look up Hagler Hearns. Mm-hmm. It's a terrific fight. I think it's three rounds. And Tommy Hearns breaks his, I think it's his right hand. It, Tommy Hearns had a trip hammer for mm-hmm. a right hand. It mm-hmm. just was, like, instant death or six months in the hospital when you got hit by it. Yeah. And he catches Hagler on the crown of his skull and shatters his hand and can't use it. And that's mm. the best three rounds in boxing that most people that are listening to this probably have never seen. Yeah, Check it out. I promise it's worth your time. So I like also that this movie uses pieces in boxing lore from the past that mm-hmm. have worked because it, it, it gives you a basis for a story that's not totally far-fetched. About the only trope they haven't used is the rumors of people putting quick Crete <laughs> yeah. on the tape that they hand so when they get sweaty and then it dries, it eventually gives you cement on your wrappings yeah, yeah. underneath the gloves. Maybe we're going to see that going forward, but I love that. Yeah. It's a because, nice, it's a nice element. And I think Kellerman makes a comment in the, sorry, around the fifth or sixth round that once that hand goes numb, he's going to be able to throw it again. So it's just a matter of waiting for that to happen. Throw, which, throw my broken hand. Yeah, right? Yeah, I think he says that. Yeah, he, he does. That sounds insane. Jesus, okay. Um, here's the other thing, though, too. Yeah. Mason the Line Dixon said I could beat this guy with two arms tied behind my back. Oh, well, let's see if now you can do it with one. Let's see if he's able to do it. Exactly. That's good. So then we get uh, our typical, this is only a 10-round fight this time, exhibition. So our three to nine montage (laughs) set to the score. This is the same fight music they used in part two. Uh, So we're getting those callbacks to that music. I remember when I went, I went with my dad to see this movie when it came out. It came out around like Christmas. Uh And uh, I remember when this music kind of came out, I was like, I know that music. So like it knows how to tap into nostalgia of the franchise with just its, its musical cues. Like I'm able to kind of call back to like those moments in the series. And I really like that Um, being aware of, of your past and sometimes when 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 film series do that, they're almost like ashamed of like the rest of the entries in their series. And I think this is a series that very much embraces, other than five, uh, where it came from and being able to. Spider Rico is <laughs> in this movie, the same actor. You That's said the it same earlier. actor. That's the same actor. Self referential mm-hmm. and celebratory in that. Yes, it's great. I love you it. You should be. Yes, and even and even like I can't believe I'm gonna say this now in this montage that like the way it's kind of cut with like quick images of like 
Adrian and like the, I, I saw some Mick in there, mm-hmm. um, some people flashing. That kind of looked a little bit like the fight sequence in the street fight and at the end of part five, like these quick images of like this. And I was like, dare I call back to part five? But it even knows when to throw a bone that way too. Sure. This is a good fight. I love watching it. And then we get to the final round and then it's just... It's just like the first movie. It's like, you've gone this far. No one thought you could make it this far. You have nothing left to prove. I just want to be standing with him at the end of this. This is how you do a bookended ending. Like, this is this is how you do it. It's a great final round. And, you know, Rocky gets a, enough momentum and not enough to knock him out, but enough where you're like, man, like, he, he put up a hell of a fight this time. And then what's the what's the end result? A split decision again. So I'm going to play uh, an audio clip. This is a little bit of a long one, probably about a little over a minute, but it's going to go into the split decision. This is how you send out a film character, not how it was in the last movie beautiful, or even any other film franchise. Like you want to know how to send out your lead character that you've seen for 40 years now. This is how you do it. We have a split decision. Dixon. Doug Jamba has it. 95-94. Balboa. And Bill Graham scores it. 95-94. For the winner by split decision. And still undefeated, the heavyweight champion of the world. So there's a lot going on in this scene. Let me start unpacking it. So split decision fight, much like the first fight with Creed. And uh, this time we actually get to hear the scoring. But Rocky and his team, his son, Polly, Duke, Marie, her son, they're all making for the dressing rooms at this point. Like, they're like, like let's get out of here. As this crowd is just constantly just cheering his name. Like, they, they can't believe what they've just seen. And then um, we're getting a, a buffers... Uh, Score score thing, and Mason gets one, Rocky gets one, and then much like the first film, when Creed won the split decision, Dixon wins the split decision, but much like the first film, this doesn't even matter at this point anymore. This wasn't about winning the fight. It was about, I just want to be standing there at the end and prove that I had enough left in the tank, and so it kind of takes on that 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 mentality of the first film of... Yeah, that's going on, but what what's happening here in the present in this uh, runway up to the the locker rooms is way more important and it's almost like is Stallone saying goodbye to the series I mean he gives everyone like a hug Marie her son uh Duke Polly even Spider Rico gets a hug as he gets to go on the thing and then one with his son 
and then the creme de la creme moment like they're still just like like cheering his name and so the son and Polly make rocky go back out for it's literally a curtain call for an actor yeah it's here this is your moment enjoy it and like this is how you send out a, a character i mean this isn't a western but this is a character riding off into the sunset literally and it's beautiful like i love it it's you got the music it reaches a pitch you get the people cheering rocky 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 and he's just so gracious and he kind of the music cuts out and you still hear the cheer and he kind of just takes it in a couple seconds more and it's you kind of feel honestly mad i thought i was like this is the last time i'm gonna see this character mm -hmm. and it's great the way they they send it out it's perfect the moment when he takes his hands that are raised over his head like mm -hmm. this and then kind of drops them hand in hand on the top of his head. Mm -hmm. It's almost like an exhaustive moment that he's recognizing for all of us, but telling us it's been worth it. Oh yeah. And the final bit, like they're out of the ring and almost in the dressing room before the third judge's score is even read. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't give a damn yeah. about that. Yeah. But the final bit is, He's walking out and we're on his hand and he's glad handing and slapping fives to all the people of, of Philadelphia, which are all of us. Mm -hmm. And you get the final one, which he walks by. I also, by the way, love that the flag is up too, because mm -hmm. he's been a patriotic character this entire franchise. Mm -hmm. I think that's also very germane to Rocky. Yeah. He goes by and he slaps hands with that person and yeah. it just still yeah. freeze frame on that. The movie could have ended right there. It, I actually kind of thought been like I said, been a while since I'd seen. It. I thought that was where we were going to fade out. Yeah, I'd forgot that there's another bit coming, and it's also appropriate. And they, it's with what you said, this this was the intention to never see him again, especially the way this movie ends. Yeah, but I'm okay with this almost ending and then the ending ending that oh we get. Oh my god! If, the, if, that, so if that, well. I'm glad you didn't look over at me because if that wasn't enough to like just like put a lump in your throat of just like saying goodbye to the character that's literally what that scene represents then you got this post coda sequence where he goes to adrian's grave again and then call back to film two where he says yo adrian i did it i finally won this fight and then he says yo adrian we did it like you were always in the in the corner for me i knew you couldn't be there for this one but this is how important you, you are you are to me so that's that's the other part of me that doesn't want to buy into the whole marie love triangle thing that sure. you you kind of mentioned but you're kind of right in that regard as well it's always been about the two of them yeah. and then as he kind of says goodbye to the grave call it cheesy i don't give a damn yeah. but he kind of like disappears like from existence into the frame from cinema theaters i think this is the end i imagined for rocky they ghost him out literally they ghost him out it's a great ending like i love that the, the franchise ended this way that this part five wasn't like the last time you saw him that there was a little bit left in the tank which is the theme of this whole movie when you think about five and six mm -hmm. that's also the character of rocky and the self-referential nature of stallone as rocky yeah number five is clubber lang's first fight against rocky caught up in the bullshit not down to what's worked forgotten what got you there and you get five six is the rematch and sending it out in a more emblematic and heroic way the way we should have expected that that mm -hmm. transition from that film to this film yeah <laughs> in a strange way or maybe not because that's been the whole movie. If you look at it, the whole movie is a story about the self-referential nature of the characters in the movie. Mm -hmm. 
he has to get up off the mat one more time and go out on his terms, which is what he told Robert and which is what he's proven over and over. And the tethered nature Mm -hmm. of Rocky and the things that he's meant to people. Yeah. He has to go out like this. Yeah, well, of course. I'm speaking about myself. Yeah. He has to go out like that because, you know, I depended on him a little bit too. Yeah. And he can't go out like in a in an alley fight. He's got to go out <laughs> the way he goes out, even yeah. if they ghost him at the grave. Yeah. Once again, like all of the people that depended on him get to go out with him the way that's appropriate to the story. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to lose it. Cheers to that. Yeah. That's beautiful. I literally thought, I was like, they literally, they ghost him out. And I'm like, this is the last time I'm going to see the character. The pitch to Stallone must have been so good to him to say, look, we know you kind of wrote out your character into the sunset, but we're thinking of doing this little spinoff thing with Creed and um, Creed's son. And, it would almost be sacrilegious to not have you be involved. And then the character that they write for him, because that's a film that he's not involved in the writing room with. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that's um, that's like Kugler and whoever his screenwriter is. Good choice. Pull uh, a great arc for his character in that film. And I'm glad that he's involved in those in those Creed films. Uh, but literally, when I left the theater, I was like, that, that's it. That's no more Rocky. Like that, that was great. I was, and I don't need to see anymore. But then I knew I did when I saw Creed, I was like, yeah, I'm glad he's back too. You know, the one thing I was thinking of is the movie ended yeah. and where Creed picks up. Yes. I think when the, when, when Rocky Balboa ends, he and Robert are good. Yeah. Something happens. Yeah, something else happens. Right. Because when we start off with Creed, mm-hmm. And then what two ends up being, mm-hmm. speaking about another like emotional bit in that film. I know, oh my God. If that was bad on this, you guys <laughs> should have seen me in the theater. Yep. Something else happens. Yeah. And I I don't know if I need that explored or explained. Yeah, I don't know if I do either. Because I would also say, as much as Robert has been estranged from Rocky and the shadow of Rocky, mm-hmm. look, it comes up in Creed again. Mm-hmm. And I think if that was what was driving the two of them apart, I don't know if those demons are gone. And I can see how that sort of still plays along. Yeah. Um, and I certainly like that they're not together. It creates more drama on the screen and it's sure. more enjoyable to watch. Of course. But right, something definitely has happened from the end of Balboa to Creed. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Best Our- left untold. Indeed. <laughs> What's your favorite tasty note of Rocky Balboa? Hmm. So many, there's a lot of great scenes to to choose from. Actually, kind of like the, maybe this might change in five minutes, but I'll go with this now. I really like that conversation that Marie has with him mm-hmm. in the van mm-hmm. when she basically is giving him her version of the Adrian in the shore or in the in the ocean, but not really. <laughs> yeah, pep talk. Yeah. Um. I just I just really believe it. Like I think that I buy her character. I can see Marie saying that Rocky stuck his neck out for her way, way early in the franchise and she's repaying it and he's been good to her and she hasn't really understood why he's chosen to champion her and her son's cause. And I think that close second would be that scene in the doorway to his hotel room mm-hmm. because you know what she doesn't do in that scene that's equally important. I'm doing two here. Sorry. Is go inside. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't go in. Yep. 
Because he invites her in, and that's loaded, right? Yeah. She doesn't. She stops at the threshold. Yeah. It's good. I, so it's my it, I, maybe my tasting note is is her. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, she's good. She's she's an unsung part of this of this film. Really good. Really well cast. Mine's the scene that we spent a good chunk talking him and Robert in the street. They're my favorite moment in the series. It speaks, it speaks volumes. There's a lot. It's a loaded sequence. Uh, that's my favorite one. This had to have been pretty close to Milo Ventimiglia's first appearance in film. Maybe on film. Be- I mean, he, he'd done some TV work uh, prior to this, but this is kind of like maybe feature film. This is pretty close. Yeah. Gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, Matt, what's the, Oh my might swing a little bit differently for the fences on this one. Usually we reserve this for the, oh, this such a shocking scene. I'm going to go more for the emotional pull of what this means for me. And it's the ending. I mean, it's the still frame of his hand is enough, but then the fade to the, the grave again. And he's back at the grave in the Creed films too, visiting her. And I think, yeah, Polly's up there this time too. Yeah. But I think it's just it's really well done and it, it, it tugs at the, the the hard strings, but for good reason because we spent so long with all these characters and it's been nice to see week after week after week to kind of see this evolve into the series that it became. Like that's the moment for me. It's a good oh my god. Me too. Yeah. The ending. Because you think the way he fades out, that's the end of it, and you're good with it. And yeah. it was everything we talked about a few minutes ago. It's that for me also. Excellent. Who's the master distiller on Rocky Balboa? Gosh, as much as it's been this character the whole time, it really is this time him again, isn't it? It has to be Stallone. Stallone yeah. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Write, produce in some version. He put the pieces together with Winkler and Chardoff, but we know how important mm-hmm. the Stallone is named compared to the Chardoff and Winkler in 2006. Yes. The cat, like, <clears throat> it's got his hands all over it, and thank God. Yes. Yeah, I got to go him too. Uh, great script. He's good in it. The direction, the camera work, just everything about it is sixth films in series shouldn't be this good. And yeah, yeah this is, it's it's good for a, a reason. How are you going to rate and grade Rocky Balboa? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. What are you going to go with for this one? It's Top Shelf. To come back from where it was. <laughs> from the ashes? And actually, even if this was just a standalone film, and there was no others. I think this would be this would be good, just as watchable, and I'd be completely content. That's a trick, isn't it? Yep. Five previous chapters, and you can come along and tell a story that not only meets the needs of the five previous chapters, but also works in a standalone capacity. That's really high praise. Yeah. I hadn't noticed. I hadn't really thought about this until just right now. It's actually a masterpiece of writing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the performances are great. Yeah. That is a. Killer, killer writing job. Mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe we've missed something. And I know we've talked about it some, but maybe Stallone's best traits mm-hmm. are behind the keyboard. It could be. Yeah, he is. But I think he's just so in tune with this character too, because he's because he's, he's lived it. So yeah, it's top shelf for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like what I said earlier, I listed all those crazy sequels like Crystal Skull and Terminator Salvation and uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Rambo and well I don't think the the age gap within those series was particularly kind to those films like there was obvious time passage so then when you get the gang back together it, it doesn't quite work again but here the time passage is the crux of the story and I think it works really well agreed uh, yeah this is a top a top shelf rocky film for me this is one of my favorites in the series it it sends him off the right way 
It literally, it, it, this film is so good. Like I can literally say, you don't have to watch five. Go from four, forget five, get in this one. And I think you get enough. You get in late, you get the time passage, and the film does a good job of catching you up with the characters and kind of showing you where they're at right now in 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like it. And again, like I said, I thought this was it, but then we got Creed, and we're going to save Creed for the inevitable Creed 3 release because then those films are loaded, loaded, loaded with a bunch of subtext and character stuff. And Rocky with cancer this time. If you didn't think this was hard, that was hard. And then Michael B. Jordan as Adonis, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like th- those those films. And then bring Drago back into the fold. Mm-hmm. So much to discuss with, with those particular films. So excellent. That's Rocky Balboa. Let's, Rocky let's, Balboa. let's, let's send this thing out with a nightcap. That's a really nice score. They should consider using that once in a while. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not the, the 90s score. <laughs> now that we've come to the end of this Rocky Journey retrospective, which has been a lot of fun. Like We'll have to do this with a, another worthy film, film series to kind of see how it stacks up in totality. But hopefully we've shed some light on this series. It's just so criminally underrated. I mean, if they get nominated for Razzies when it has no business... I mean, the story itself is just so solid. Mm-hmm. So now that we've come to the the end of this, let's rank how we see this 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 series stacking up. So one week, what you just go, just go six through one. You go first, and then I'll go. Well, let's not even mess around with six because we both have <laughs> the five at number six. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my worst entry in the franchise is Rocky Five. I want to say for the next five entries, it's going to get interesting. Every single one of them is good, though. Yeah. So no, I feel the same way. It's picking a diamond among or a ruby among a, a, a chest of, of beautiful jewels. Yeah, there you it go. just depends yep. what you want to. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is crazy, but I think I based my rate. I don't know the, how you're going to do it, but I kind of based it just based on this viewing and this experience of these episodes of like how I felt watching them, like which ones spoke to me the most and then how it, the, the conversations happened. So that's kind of how I did it. It's fairly similar to the way I did this. Cool. Number five for me is Rocky Four. Mm. Number four for me okay. is Rocky Three. Okay. Number three for me is Rocky Two. Okay. Number two for me is Rocky Balboa. Okay. And number one is Rocky One. Gotcha. So excellent. Five at six, four at five, three at four. Oh, it's good. That I get. Um, <laughs> I can't keep track. Two at three. <laughs> Balboa at two and Rocky one at one. Excellent. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It was it was kind of hard to kind of hard to do. Like you said though, that first one you've seen maybe more than any other movie. Yeah. yeah so that one's that one's real close there. All right. Yeah. Number six at me. Rocky number five. It's it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Number five for me is going to be Rocky three. Okay. Again though, like I still really enjoyed that movie. Like this was really hard. This might be shocking to you at number four for me, the first one, Rocky one. Wow. Then I got to go at number three, Rocky four. Again, that's just an incredibly important one to me because that was the first one I saw. And then like watching it this time, it like really, I was like, man, this this is a pretty good, this is a pretty good entry in the series. Number two for me, the film we just watched, Rocky Balboa. 
And then number one for me, what I consider to be the best film in the series has all a lot of my favorite training montage and sequences. Rocky two. Yeah. It's a great sequel. It's one of my favorite sequels of all time, but it, it just expands so much from the first one and just runs with it. And I think having Stallone in the director's chair has done nothing but improve this franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, he has just more control over all the, all the elements. So yeah, that's, that's the ranking there. I wish there, and I searched this week for it. I couldn't find one. Now, if I have to throw the Creed stuff in there, that whole thing's going to change like like crazy. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> I think I might make the case in that. Creed 2 Creed is the, the best. best of all oh, yeah, of them. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, it might be. I couldn't find any reasonable or real in-depth story as to, from Stallone's perspective, what the origin of the idea was in this film. I really want to know like this movie or this thing in life or something happened. I saw this and that's what created Rocky for me. Mm-hmm. This has got to be a great story. And and maybe, maybe mm-hmm. he got a really great high concept idea with a, a genre of film that Hollywood loves. Boxing and gangster movies are kind of staples sure. about every three years, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> they come out with a good one. Mm-hmm. And then that character flourish the way that it did in one that it just sort of gained momentum and snowballed down the hill maybe it grew yeah it certainly did do that i don't think he's going to tell anybody that after we did one i had a vision that there would be oh no eight of these films (laughs) yeah there's no way but man around three he had to have sort of been looking around thinking like i think we really have something here Mm -hmm. how far do we want to take this yeah and I think you reach five and you're just like, yeah, I think we've took it about as far as we can go. Have you read the same thing that I have about Creed three, that maybe one of the big sticking points in that film is actually Stallone. Mm-mm. I've I, read that a couple places. I haven't, I haven't read a whole lot about the development of that film. So I'm kind of, kind of in the dark on that one. Jordan's in on board and whatever bad guy they want to use, whether it be Deontay Wilder or someone else seems to have an interest. Okay. What I've read is that Stallone has kind of come out and said, I think that character's played out. Well, it kind of ends pretty good for him at the end of the thing. Like, I like I know they that it's gonna if it, he sticks around long enough, they're gonna have to do like the death of him. And I'm just I'm not I'm not I'm not ready for that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready for that so, either. Like if his involvement's like I don't think he can do take the character, like I can kind of agree with that. And it, honestly, at this point, like the way two ends, it's kind of Adonis's solo story now. Like yeah. to let him take it and run with it. Right. And I'm okay with that. You're right. So yeah, we'll have to see when that when that comes up. I'll pay attention to the development of that. All right, the end of the Rocky franchise cask. This has been a blast to sure just watch all six of these these films. It's September, mid September. Matt, I've been in spooky season since probably like the day you were born. The day I was born. <laughs> yeah, you but, never leave it. Yeah, but yeah, as I've been yearning for this. So yeah. It, October, Halloween, fall, right around the corner. Looking forward to it. And so we're going to build some some scary stuff for you in this cast. But, th- but this is a playground that Matt and I just love to be in. I mean, if we could talk about horror every week, we probably would. We probably but would. We like the we like the diversity that the podcast offers <laughs> offers us in terms of films we get to choose. So we're going to do call this next cast Horror Plus One because mm-hmm. it's been a while since we've had some people um, here in the studio with us to kind of discuss with them, show them stuff for the first time. And we got a really great lineup of people that we're going to uh, have on. and Some familiar some familiar voices and some new voices, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to play a little mu- music clip. This is just a little tease at what's coming next week. 
got so dark in this room right now. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Coming at you next week, new hor- a new film review cast, Core Plus One, and up first from 1976, the same year as Rocky One, we have The Omen, starring Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, directed by Richard Donner. I'm very excited to watch this film because this is a film that's continually, every time I watch it, it's grown in what kind of a pedestal I put it on. Like this, I think this is a really fun and really good horror film that is backed by a major studio, 20th Century Fox, at a time when eh, they weren't really making these types of movies. Right, a real strange choice for this production company. Yes. I can't wait to talk about all the stories and the crazy things, the planes getting struck by lightning mm-hmm. and people dying. Like It's got a whole story behind the scenes. But a chance to talk about Little Damien and that that great score, which you know, Matt, you know, we had that Catholic upbringing. To me, that that that's like a Catholic like choir, yeah, but like from hell. Yeah. <laughs> the Tibet or the the chanting, yes, in a monkish kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of beautiful and eerie all at the same time. And I don't think we've talked about Gregory Peck on this podcast before, so this is the first first offering from him. You're right, we haven't. Wow. And an interesting, I think, casting choice for him to do this type of movie. Yeah, that's true. So that's coming at you next week. And then what's coming in the weeks uh, to follow is going to be so spooky and so awesome at the same time. So we'll have a brand new guest on with us next week. Uh, we'll go through a Rye Raw Watch with that new guest. And I am looking really forward to introducing you to a friend of ours and uh, kicking off something that's a little bit different, horror. Definitely. Excellent. Until then, all right. So cheers, Rye Nation. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Leave us a a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the major platforms. We appreciate all the feedback, all the interaction. Um, And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun coming up the next couple of weeks. So I got to get going. I got to get going. I'm going to go plan for my revival fight. Hopefully it fares as good as Rockies did, but I might get laid out in the the third round. (laughs) If that. I got to hurry and get back to the kitchen because something's burning. I'm pretty sure damn spider Rico caught the potatoes (laughs) on fire again. We joked about, you know, Rocky was doing these like arm curls with the 55 pound dumbbells, like just like using them like he was punching Punching. with That guy's doing stuff at 65 that I'll never be able to do in my entire life. So this is true. (laughs) Amen to him. We'll we'll see you all next week. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. We'll be saying amen a lot next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Rocky Balboa is property of Sony Pictures Releasing, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Columbia Pictures, Revolution Studios, and Chardoff Winkler Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. You know, I could have done nothing without you. Yo, Adrian, we did it. We did it.